we're in a series where we're looking in the Gospel of John, chapters 20 and next week, 21, at his post-resurrection appearances. In his glorified body, Jesus returns from the dead, from the tomb, and he appears first to Mary, and we've looked at that, and then last week to the disciples. This week we're looking at his appearing to Thomas, and then next week another uh, very intimate appearance to Peter. And Jesus didn't simply appear as a ghost or a holograph, but he had flesh and blood. He ate and he spoke. And yet he was different. Again, we don't know how he got through the walls. He could have gone right through or the door could have unlocked. But this week, we're going to look at Jesus appearing to Thomas. And I've got a question for you. In the last three weeks, has Jesus appeared to you? In the last three weeks, since we've been in this series, for those that have been here in attendance, has Jesus become more real to you? Has Jesus become less abstract and more concrete? Has he become less of a theological, I know what a shepherd does for the sheep, to being a shepherd hands-on in the course of my week? Now, some of you are going to answer, no, Jesus has not appeared to me. In fact, I have no expectation of his appearing. I believe that he was born in space and time that he lived a historic life, that he died a real death, and he conquered the grave. All that is in this book, the Bible, and I believe this Bible to be true. But Jesus does not appear in my world because he's far away in his, and those two worlds are separate, his world and my world. Oh, I wish that I could see him. I wish for a moment I could hold on to him and be held by him. I wish I could speak with him. I've got some questions to ask. Just like those original disciples. I wish I could hear his voice. It would be great to see him. To be together again. Like they were. Never separated. But no, Jesus is not here. He's there. So, I carry on as a Christian until I do see him after my resurrection that is promised to me. But you see, I'm a realist, and I'm not a mystic. So I want to see him, but I don't expect to see him. Now, lest you think that I made all of that up out of thin air, I would tell you that's a compilation over the years, of many, many Christians, Christians, believers, that I have spoken to, to say, I believe, but I still have doubts because I've never seen a body. I've never, he's never visually appeared to me. 
it's a very concerning problem. And in a nutshell, the problem as I would define it is called Christian cynicism. Verse 24 identifies Thomas as a disciple. He's one of the twelve. Judas is out. So he's one of eleven now. He's one of the disciples. He's one of the intimate disciples. And he's called the twin here and elsewhere. And, and like a twin, he's a real believer, but he also has semi-belief. He has doubts, uncertainties. So sometimes he looks like a believer, but other times he looks a bit like an unbeliever with his uncertainties. But I, I love Thomas because he, he honestly craves and desires an answer to his question. A question that we could say that every modern thinking woman and man would like to have answered. Is Jesus really real? And if I could just have evidence, if I could just see him, it would be settled. So I want you to observe three things this morning. I want you to observe that there is the day of Thomas, there's the doubt of Thomas, and there's the declaration of Thomas. I want you to observe that in verse 24, we find on the day of Thomas that there was an earlier day when he was not with them. Verse 24 mentions that he was not with them when Jesus came. And that was the first appearing of Jesus. And we, we don't quite know why Thomas was there. Was he grieving alone? You know, sometimes when we're hurting, we don't gather with the communion of saints. When, sometimes when we're really, maybe it's a struggle with a particularly pernicious temptation or sin, and we've got a sense of shame, and so we pull away from the flock. Or maybe it's just a time that we're under fierce trial and everybody seems to be so joyful and encouraged. I mean, my goodness, they got the promotion. They got the guy or the girl. They've got wonderful things happening with their kids. They've got great health and I don't. There must be something wrong. We pull away. Maybe, maybe he was grieving privately. Just Maybe he was afraid to huddle up. Like these disciples, maybe just said, no, I'm, I'm not wanting to hang with all of you, so I'm going to try to hide out on my own. Maybe he abandoned his faith for a season. Well, I would say differently. We see in John chapter 11, verse 16, that Thomas had courage, real courage. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now this was when Jesus said, we've got to go back to Judea because there I'm going to be with Mary and Martha because our brother Lazarus is sick unto death. And they said, well, now wait a minute. The guys that want to stone you are all huddled in Judea. And Thomas Yes, a cynic, but one with courage said, guys, let's go. 
let's go because he's going to die, and so we'll die with him. A cynic, but also faith and courage, a chance. Now, Paul Miller says in his book, The Praying Life, and we have copies for either purchase or if you would like a free copy, take one uh, from the book table called The Praying Life. And he has a whole chapter on cynicism, which he believes to be the spirit of our age. We're very cynical people. And he says, cynicism leaves us doubting, unable to dream. It shuts down our hearts, and we just show up for life going through the motions. Some days, it's difficult to get out of our pajamas. On this day, the disciples had been telling Thomas, we have seen the Lord. I mean, they're, they're good evangelists. They're good singers of good news. And I love this about the disciples, that they told him, we've seen Jesus. And this cynic, who I've come to really love this week, Thomas, this cynic says, no, no, no. But they don't, they don't exclude him. They don't belittle him with his doubts. They accommodate him. They, I believe they keep on saying, we've seen him. We've seen him. Jesus is real. Jesus is back. Jesus appeared to us. We've experienced it. But Thomas is not moved. But they, I love these brothers about this, they just accommodate his doubts. They continue to speak to it. And such are some of us this morning. You know, I, pre I have the privilege to preach a sermon to you on Sunday mornings. But you also, you also are encouraged to take opportunities to preach sermons, not preaching, but to sing the good news to one another because there are discouraged people here today. There are people that are really struggling with their doubts in the sound of my voice this morning. And they're going to take encouragement from you as you share again the reality of Jesus and the fresh appearings in your own life. Well, if you were to go to Psalm 23 for an exercise, and we can't, I can't do this this morning, but I would encourage you to, to do this if you dare this afternoon. Go to Psalm 23 and strike out, the Lord is my shepherd, strike out every pronoun, he leads me. He guides me. He is with me in the valley of shadows of death. Strike out every one of those appearings of a shepherd. And look at what you're left with. What you're left with is not a hopeful future. What you're left with is a very cynical, cynical outlook. Because... You know you have a shepherd, but if you're not experiencing him, if he doesn't regularly appear to be your shepherd, then you're facing the valley and the shadows without him. You've excluded him. There can't be a separation here. So, in verse 26, it says, Eight days later, 
And this is, this is the way that the Jews kept time. It says eight days later, but in Western uh, culture, a time, it's seven days, okay? What Jesus does in timing his appearance, he appears on what becomes known as the Lord's Day, the Resurrection Day. He did this, and I would believe uh, that because there's no indication otherwise, that it is perhaps the same time of day, but most certainly the same place, but most accurately the same day of the week. It's Sunday, Resurrection Day. And he comes and appears not to Thomas privately, but he appears in the body of the church. He appears in their midst. Matthew Henry makes this comment. Those know not what they lose who carelessly absent themselves from the stated assembly of Christians. Now that's challenging language at times. It's very formal. But what he's saying is that we do, we stand to lose something if we're not regularly and faithfully in church attendance. Christ appears in our midst. We pray for that every Sunday morning, that you would see Jesus and that he would appear. And he's going to appear in our midst in various but most sure ways. And if we neglect our worship, our regular worship together, or if we're haphazard in it, or irregular in our attendance, we miss the appearance appearance of Christ in our life. Because Christ loves to appear in our worship services. Worship has a valuable, valuable uh, benefit to us in that Christ is in our midst. He's the worship leader behind the song. His Holy Spirit is the voice behind His Word speaking to us. He is the one that speaks through the fellowship of God's people, a timely word, an encouraging word, maybe a, an, a, a, a convicting word. Secondly, I want you to see the doubt of Thomas. What is it, what is it that Thomas wants? What is it that he's specifically asking for? He doesn't ask to see the crowned head and appearance of Christ in his glory. He doesn't ask to see Christ like a, a, a figure in Daniel, high and lifted up in a robe of white or a sword in his hand. No, he asks to see a wounded Christ. Thomas must have by all indication, been there to see Christ crucified. He, he would have heard the hammer and seen the nails pierce his hands. He would have stayed while he expired on the cross. He would have observed a, a Roman soldier. Instead of breaking the legs to hasten death, he would pierce his side and the, the mix of the water and the blood would be the most sure death certificate. He would see the body taken down from the cross, most assuredly dead, 
wounded and scarred, wrapped hastily in a shroud with some spices, put away because of the Sabbath was soon to come. Then he never went to the tomb to look like John and Peter because he had every assurance from those wounds that Christ was most certainly dead. And so he didn't scoff when the other disciples told him, but he doubted. He was cynical toward that. His, his heart to dream again was crushed. It would be like us saying, why pray? It's just so pointless. Why, why hope again? Just do your Christian duty. Just keep believing and let's just get by. But he had a condition. He said, I would believe. I would believe if I could just see those scars. Because they told a story to Thomas. Now I want to confess another one of my odd things that I do. Wendy normally always, when it comes out of my mouth, says, Phil, that's rude. But the people that I ask this question of have never told me that I'm rude or it's too personal. I ask people about their scars. Someone this week uh, was uh, where I was. They were a, a, a waiter or maitre d', and they were missing a, a finger. And so I was like, wow, how did that happen? And you know, people don't go, well, my Excuse me, I don't know you. I'm not going to share my scars with you. They open up and they tell me the story. This particular guy caught it in a piece of bakery machinery 30 years ago. And he told me all the details. It was so vivid to him. I can remember the first church that I pastored in the mountains of North Carolina. And I've told this before. They decided the families, the, they, they were many of them were kin to one another. They lived all in the same area in the valley of there in the mountains of North Carolina. They decided to, to do a quilt of the church members. So every member took one hand and they put it on a square. They drew around it and then the ladies made a quilt out of it. And we hung it up on the wall in the fellowship hall. And I walked in to look at that quilt. And I was like, well, there's Ed. He's missing his middle finger. There's, there's Sarah. She's missing a fingertip. Oh, there's Aunt Rachel. All, that's her arthritic hand. Those, those, everything told a story. And you could identify it. And that was what Thomas wanted. He said, the wounds will identify my Savior. The wounds will identify him. And if I see the wounds, then I know he's come back from the dead. I know the wounds will identify both his work and who he is, really, Lord and God. Now, can I encourage you again, whether it's today or this week, take at least a half hour and contemplate Meditate on the wounds of Christ. It will be a comfort to you. 
If you're struggling with sin or if you're struggling with affliction, if you're struggling with ministry or work or service, if you're, if you're just kind of head down going through this, but I would, you long toward your own cynicism, your own looking at the future and it just looks like more fog, your own longing for a fresh appearance of Jesus Christ with the promise of transformation from your doubts to fresh belief and faith, take a half hour. Take a half hour and study the story of your Redeemer's death. Look in each of the four Gospels. This is Holy Week coming up here. Study His passion. Study study His trial, His being seized in the garden. Study all of the four Gospels. See your Redeemer going to battle for you. Becoming sin for you on the cross and taking those wounds for you. See Him. Go to Isaiah 53. Again, this can't be done in five minutes. But in Isaiah 53, read the story. Sit on it. Think about it. Meditate on it. Try to retell it to yourself. Like the old, old, old TV series, You Were There. Try to place yourself like Thomas at a distance. Hear the hammer. See the wounds. See the spear thrust. Go to Psalm 22. Camp out there. Handle those wounds with your mind. Engage your heart's eyesight and see them and He will appear to you. And as you have opportunity, retell it. Retell it to your own heart. For it is the gospel. It is not a gory, morbid exercise. It's good news. Man, it's good news for tired, cynical hearts. Because, see, he wasn't reluctant to die for us. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Thomas saw those wounds and noticed that Jesus Christ was not reluctant at all to not only die for us, but to answer our doubt. Jesus Christ, this is the first act of business he does. Let's say that they're having church. This is the second church service in the history of Christendom on a Sunday resurrection morning. It's the Lord's Day. It's the second church. Thomas, where were you last church meeting? You missed it. He doesn't berate him. He says, did your doubts and your cynicism that I would come back or you're going to do life without me now, did that keep you away? He doesn't do that. But his first act of business on the second Sunday is to answer Thomas's doubt. And specifically, every one of Thomas's demands. Think about what your own questions of doubt are. That if sincerely and honestly, 
God could answer a question, and he can, for you. What specifically would you like to know? What's your demand? Notice that Jesus comes to him, and specifically, he answers every one of his demands with an invitation. Really, a command. He says, you wanted to see, see me. You wanted to touch, touch me. You wanted to really stick yourself into me. That would have been a, we don't believe that this is just like a little piercing. The spearhead itself was probably about half a foot wide. I mean, it was, it was a huge thing. This would have been a hole all the way through. Some Christian artwork shows a huge flap. A huge flap. God would love to show you. He would love to, if you are honestly and sincerely a seeker this morning for truth, for His grace, then He will show you. And then He will say, now believe. Stop the endless questions, I believe. In other words, I've answered what your, where your true doubts are at the time. Now, believe. Act on what I've revealed to you. And trust. We no longer have, we no longer have sight that we rest our faith on. What we have is we have faith in those that had sight. We have the Apostles' testimony. We have the scriptures themselves. And we can trust that. We can have our doubts answered even more specifically. Do you believe that uh, Thomas took him up on that? Do you believe that Thomas actually, when he said, touch my hands, put, put your hand in my side, do you believe he did it? It's amazing how many commentaries will say, oh, no, 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 he would have never. And I'm like, no, I believe it was a command. I believe it was, yes, an invitation, but Christ met him there and was not reluctant to say, I want you to have what evidence you need, what information about me that you need for faith. It wasn't any fear on Christ's part that he would be casually touched or just touched by the curious. For all who seek, they shall find. It is promised to us. And note that his response was a declaration. And I'm going to let you do the heavy lifting for this point as I conclude. And we go into the table. I'm going to encourage you around your table to not talk about sports, to not talk about uh, a particularly interesting hobby that you have, to not simply uh, even get caught up with the latest gossip with one another, but look for an opportunity Look for an opportunity to declare Christ is your Savior and your Lord.
that cries fear for the first time, Thomas's, Thomas's the first recorded voice that says, Jesus, your Lord and your God. Before that, Son of Man. Before that, Lord meaning Master, Master Rabbi, but now it's Lord Adonai. You are Yahweh. Look for an opportunity because we're not just going to take a quick bite and a quick drink. We encourage you to linger. We're going to take, take some time. But look for an opportunity. Maybe say, where do you worship regularly? Or when did you first come to faith in Christ? Or how, how is your walk now? Encur look for opportunities to encourage and to be encouraged by the testimony that you have, the declaration that you have having had past doubts answered by the very appearing of Christ, that you can now encourage one another. And yes, you may still long at times if you could only see, but Christ gives His benediction and His blessing to those of us who believe and place our faith on Him and in Him solely without relying simply upon physical sight. And that is available to us. And it's our prayer this morning that if you have any questions, you can talk to me, you can talk to any of the elders, any of the deacons. We've got other folks that we can direct you to, to talk to. That you can understand the resources available to you to have your very specific doubts or concerns answered. Not simply by a man or a woman, but by Christ himself. That you might be able to then see him with the eyes of faith as your Lord and your God. To the great comfort of your soul. Let's pray. Father, I do ask this morning that you would take the signs we have on this table. The signs of both his wounds and the declaration that they make that you are Lord and God. You've conquered death on our behalf and now resurrection is promised to us, eternal life. That you still bear those wounds and you wear them as a hero. And you wear them to show that you have, by your wounds and by your shed blood, washed us and made us new forgiven us of all sin, and now as God, you dwell with us through the Holy Spirit, and you promise one day to welcome us into your paradise, your heaven, even the new heaven and new earth, where we will live with you forever. So Father, strengthen us by appearing, O Jesus, to our mind's eye once again, to our great comfort and to your glory we pray in Christ's name.